Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, guys. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today, I'm sitting down with Paul Thompson. How you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to have you on because I, I I always find stories about people that found a way to, you know, leave corporate America and 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 get into real estate investing full time. I always find those super inspiring. I I guess I don't really consider myself a guy that left corporate America because I I don't know if I had a high enough qualified job to be considered that. But I always those stories always resonate with me. Um, so take a second to kind of briefly tell people about, you know, the beginning of your journey and how you got into real estate investing. Sure thing. So I was a, a corporate drone. I, you know, did all the traditional um, uh, corporate America plan where you, you go to college, you get a job. And by the age of 22, my life plan had, was complete. I was facing down this barrel of having to work for the next 40 years. And I thought, what is this really what I plan to do here? Is this really what life's about? Right. But at 22, I did not have the wherewithal to know there were, there were other paths. So I did what the default plan is, is to just kind of settle into your job, make the most of it. And I, you know, got married, had kids, got a mortgage and got fat. <laughs> <laughs> And it took me about 15 years of living that life, which what's so sneaky about it is that it's not a horrible life compared right. to most of the world it is actually a fantastic life. So keep it in perspective, but it's not a world, a life of abundance. It's not a life of freedom where you get to control your own time. You're, you're always, you're being lured into a, a snare. And yep. I kind of realized that I was in this this real world matrix and that I was a wage slave. Yep. And so I had to figure out a way out. And I looked for a lot of, into a lot of different things. And, I, and, and after doing a lot of research, then I landed on real estate. You know, I, I could buy some houses here or there and just kind of step my way into it and kind of create a transition plan versus just pulling the ripcord and jumping off and seeing if I can build my plane on the way down. How many people in your life when you were working the corporate job were telling you, you know, you're living the American dream, you're making good money, I'm so proud of you? Was that kind of something that was common in your life? Yeah, th that's the the dialogue that goes on in that world. You know, you, you are you're what your peers are. You live up to the expectations of your peers. And everybody around you is working and earning money and spending right. more than they probably make. And they're probably, you know, up to their eyeballs in debt. You know, and so you you don't know that there is a another way to view the world until you branch out and see that there oh you know there are alternatives and it's funny to think about real estate as being an alternative but that's I think now it should be like the, 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 that that should be the default plan but um that's 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 the realization it took me far too long to to, to make right I remember and and I love my parents right and but. I remember when I got promoted to general manager of that pizza restaurant that I'm not allowed to say, mm -hmm. um, that they took me out to dinner. They bought me presents for my desk. Like I, I, I became the general manager of the TCU restaurant. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so they bought me a, a little horn frog to go on my desk, um, some decorations to go on the wall, and they were just so proud of me. And I remember several years later when I told them, hey, I'm starting my own company, which, mind you, my parents are entrepreneurs. Like They've owned their own business since 1992. Mm. Um, the look of fear on their eyes and are you sure that's what you want to do? You know, and, it, and it, it's so surprising to me that so many people have that reaction compared to, hey, I'm going to work this job for the next 20, 25 years, and I'm going to make X amount of dollars. And the best thing that I could possibly do is be one of the best at my job and maybe earn a bonus that gets taxed to all hell, mm -hmm. and I barely get anything out of it. You know, it's just it's, it's crazy that that's what we – and, and, and here's the thing for a lot of people that is the American dream, but for yep. people like you and I, I mean, it's, it's just not, and we wanted something more. So you just, you kind of came up with a plan an exit strategy by buying some, some real estate. Uh, talk about that. And what did that look like? Were those rentals owner finance, lease options? What did those look like? Yeah, I've done about everything under the sun when it comes to single family, but I started with just buying rentals. And I bought, like in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I live, a 30000 house for $30,000 that I borrowed private money from, put 10000 of my own money into it, and then I refinanced it with the traditional bank afterwards, a local commercial bank, yeah. and pulled all of my capital back out, repaid the private lender, and it's the buy and refi strategy that's been around forever. Right. And I, I did that and uh, have about $150 a month of residual income that I still have from a property that rents for six fifty, And I, I have no money left in it. And I thought, you know, this works. You know, I, I, this is probably not the class of neighborhood that I'm going to spend my time in, but the, the, the theory worked. And I liked that, that approach because if it had gone badly and it didn't go perfectly, but if it had gone really sour, uh, it wouldn't have bankrupted me. I, I would have been able to recover from that that experiment. So I look at doing any sort of business as doing really small tests and putting it out in the marketplace, testing it in the real world and say, okay, this worked, this didn't work. Okay, let's make an adjustment and let's keep going. And you just constantly make refinements. And I, that's what I did with all these different techniques, owner financing, subject to lease options, you, you, you name it, I've done it. And there are pros and cons to each mechanism Yep. And each technique. And I really am a big believer in not being overly technique driven, but more being learning how to find access to deals and finding access to money and knowing how to piece them together. Oh, man, I, I love what you just said there, because I'm the same way. And, and you know, I get asked now to go speak at masterminds and events and things like that. And I always ask them, I'm like, do you really want me to be like super technical? Because that's really not like what I'm passionate about, you know, and, and I think a lot of times people get too wrapped up in like, okay, I need to know every last little detail of how to do an owner finance transaction or a subject to transaction. And whereas those that's important, there yeah. are people out there that you can lean on and ask for support that should be a part of your team, be it, you know, your title company. Um, if you're in a, if you're in an attorney state, the attorney, you can ask questions and they'll walk you down that path. And if you've surrounded yourself with the right people, the technical side of things will get answered. But what will never get answered is surrounding yourself by networking and bringing in deals and just opening up opportunities for yourself. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with what you just said there. 
Um, you know, you talked about that that first deal that you did, thirty thousand in rents for six fifty. I mean, that's a two percent deal, and you kind of brought up it's not necessarily the neighborhood you wanted to be in, but that's kind of the nature of real estate. You know, if you're going to get those high um, rental spreads, those two percent deals, which what I mean by that is is the rental income, the gross rental income monthly is two percent of what you're paying for the property. Right. Um, you know, if you're going to get those, you're going to be in those lower class areas. So when you, when you got started, is that kind of what you found was your niche was staying in those DC class areas where you were getting those 2% rentals or did you immediately start transitioning to nicer areas? I definitely made the transition, but it wasn't immediate because I was still learning techniques. And unless you have a million dollars piled away that you can go invest it's hard to buy class a properties with debt that you can actually cash flow right and so there's this trade-off between the the class of neighborhood you're in and the amount of cash flow you get and class a properties are fantastic they just don't cash flow very much you right. have a much better chance of getting capital appreciation though so it depends on your season of life and so i was in a season of life where i was just getting started and so i i bought C-class properties. I, I would stay away from war zones, but C-class properties. And then I learned the additional techniques that allowed me to buy class A properties or B-plus properties. And that is where owner financing comes in. That's where sub two comes in. And that's yep. where using private money comes in. So those are the three favorite sources for me to actually raise money. And that's the way I, I operate now. I hardly use banks at all anymore other than what I already have in place because I just don't like to, to, to fuss with them. Nice. So how long did you buy those C-class properties before A, you left your corporate job and B, you started, how many properties did you have under your belt before you're like, okay, I got to transition to the the nicer class areas and learn some new strategies? Sure. So I was probably 10 properties in before I transitioned into a little bit higher. And, and even now I won't completely step over class C properties. I just changed my exit strategy. And so my, my philosophy now is that if it's a class C property, I buy it and owner finance it out. If it's a class B property, I buy it and lease option it out. If it's a class A property, I want to hold that forever. Right. And that's a great way to do it. And I mean, again, you brought up appreciation. I mean, I'm assuming that's the reason why you want to keep those class A properties. Yeah. They're whole, way less headache and I have much Long and so I've gotten to the point now where I've got enough properties where I have enough cash flow that I don't need to actually add to my cash flow in order to be happier. Uh, I, I would just have to find a way to invest that money if I got more. So now I go and I'm looking for wealth building and creating additional streams of income. So let's talk about those um, those Class A properties real quick because okay. you brought up subject two. And and I'm right there with you. Like subject two is the way that you can take those down because you can get in a position where those properties will cash flow or there's even where, you know, I, and I don't know if this is the case in Arkansas. Every state's different. But here in Texas, you can even take a property subject to and then sell it owner finance and wrap it. Sure. And and so that could be a really good strategy for those class A properties if the numbers are tight, but you're still getting into a class A asset. So real quickly, for the people that are not familiar with subject two, can you kind of break down like just a broad description of what that means? Sure. I'm glad you asked that because a lot of people have a lot of confusion around it. So the in real estate or really even in, in just the 
English language, when someone says, this is going to happen subject to this other thing, that is just saying with the exception to. And so I'm going to take title to this property with the exception that I'm not going to pay off your mortgage. That's all a subject to is. is I'm going to buy your property subject to the existing mortgage that's in place. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you can buy sub to, but what we refer to as subject to often is just existing encumbrance, which is the access to, to the utility poles. And they don't think about it. It happens all the time. But all you the can, time. Right. You can also buy a property subject to the existing mortgage. And that's why it's so important to understand the bundle of rights that comes with real estate. And you don't have to always sell every piece off every time a transaction happens. You can keep some or get rid of some based on what you need and what the other side needs. Right. And, and you know, the thing about subject to is, is that you, more often than not, when it's brought up, if you if you see signs that this is a need for the seller, it can be a really easy conversation to have. The first time I ever heard somebody talk about subject to, I was like, who in the world is going to sell me their house subject to like, that makes no sense. Like that's the first question everybody asks, who would do that? Well, the right kind of people will. (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, just yesterday, I mean, we were working a deal in Birmingham, Alabama, and the, the people in Birmingham, Alabama have already purchased their house in Dayton, Ohio. And they just want to be done. They don't want to make any more payments on their property in Birmingham, Alabama. And so for us, we're like, we could take it subject to. What does that mean? Well, we're going to take over your payments for you, blah, blah, blah. We go through all the technicalities of it, and we walk them through the process. And 10 minutes later, they're like, this is literally what we were talking about last night, just wishing someone would just start making our payments for us. And it's a perfect situation for them. So that's where you can really, you know, utilize the subject to strategy on nicer assets. And and again, this is, you know, why I bring this up, because that's more often than not, we've used it on class B, class A assets that otherwise there wasn't enough there for us. There wasn't really a strategy because between you know interest on your private money or closing costs and all of these different things that you really avoid with the subject too, um, that's where it can really help you. So you know once you started taking down those properties, you started learning about owner financing. Is that really where your business kind of transitioned to? Yeah, I know you said you still look at you know Class C assets, but is that kind of where you're at today? Where those are your main um, assets that you're looking for? Yeah, I'm. For my buy and hold portfolio, which is one of my streams of income, my primary stream of income, I want low maintenance, high value properties. And they're uh, one out of maybe 500 (laughs) deals. I mean, I've gotten a lot pickier now about what I keep in my portfolio because a lot of people get really hung up and how many units they have, how many doors they have. Right. And that's kind of an irrelevant question. It's how much cash flow do you have? Mm-hmm. That's what you actually want. How how much how much are you growing your net worth? And and number most importantly is how much time does it take you to manage that asset? And for me, it doesn't take me much time to manage a class A property. I can have property management in place or I can do it myself. Either way, it just isn't a lot of hassle because the likelihood of having a better quality tenant is much higher the higher end of a neighborhood you go. I'm sure all of my listeners have heard me say this at this point in time, but that is one of my biggest pet peeves is I go to events, I go to masterminds, I'm with people that I highly respect and they get up and they're like, 
I did 102 deals last <laughs> year, you know, and it's like, what does that mean? Why does that, why does that matter? You know, I mean, what if I did one deal and I made twice as much money? Right. Like who here should be more excited, right? Like, are we, are we in this business to have notches on our belt or are we in this business to make money and create financial freedom? And that's the, the big thing for me that I, I always try to get across to people is don't be excited about just doing a deal. Try to monetize it as best as you possibly can. Right. Would you rather have a hundred properties that give you ten thousand dollars a month of cash flow, or ten properties that give you ten thousand a month of cash flow? Right. You know, I mean, what's what was your preference? And most people, if you really ask them that question, they say, "Oh, okay, I, I'd I'd rather have ten, and and it's a whole lot less work than man- managing a hundred properties, even with property management, is is a lot of work. It is. And and there's really no way to avoid it. You know, like you said, with property management, without property. You know, property management can only do so much. You're still the owner. You you still have to answer for every little thing that goes wrong with the property. You know, and, and it's still your it's still your checkbook that's writing the checks for all those maintenance. You know, the capital expenditures, the vacancies, all of those things. They still fall on your shoulders. So, it's a uh, there's always that stress there as you add volume. So I know uh, one of the things that you kind of have created and and you're big on, you know, having a new money mindset. There's like five things that, you know, the listeners can do today to have that new money mindset. What are those? Sure. So I talk a lot about the mindset and mechanics of real estate investing, but it starts with a mindset first because that's what I had to change in my life and what I learned and what I've learned as a as a result of actually going through the process of becoming a real estate entrepreneur is that you need to first, number one, separate yourself, your thinking from time for money. Time is not equal to money. We spend so much time being trained to go be order followers and go work and we exchange our time for money. And when you separate that, that, that from your, in your mindset, that time is not equal to money, because if that were true, then why is Warren Buffett so, uh, so wealthy? He has as much time as, as we do. What right. has he done differently? He's learned to make money while he sleeps. And if you can't figure out a way to make money while you sleep, you're going to work for the rest of your life. So that's let me ask one. you this on, on that number one. Did you learn that after you started doing a couple of deals or did you go into real estate investing with that mindset already? I went into it with a mindset already, but it was reinforced consistently. This idea of a hundred units, and because that was my original goal, is I want a hundred units, and I want to have all this much cash flow. Uh, and then I learned, well, you know, it's a it's a lot smarter to set something up one time and c- create residual income over time versus trying to go and actually work, like going and turning the wrench and doing the, the work right. yourself, that's not where you generate wealth. Where is your, Where are you going to bring the most value? And it's not in you actually physically using your body to turn the wrench. That's, that's the wrong kind of thinking. And gotcha. so as you grow as becoming an entrepreneur, you stop working in your business and you stop working on your business. And you, you know, like what you should be thinking about is marketing and making sure that your deal flow is is continuous and how can I be optimizing and doing this by eliminating automating and delegating tasks there you go all right carrying on what's number two switch from looking for piles of money to finding streams of money and this is a really big thing that a lot of wholesalers and fix and flippers have to 
work on. <laughs> and so there's nothing wrong with doing wholesaling or, or fix and flipping so long as you're doing it within the confines of the law. What I'm talking about is this idea of we all think that we want to build up this big pile of money and then live off of that pile of money. Well, what you really want is a steady stream of cash flow. And so you want to switch from creating a pile here and then going out and working again and creating another chunk of money. You would rather have steady streams of income from a variety of sources. And that's what generates real wealth. Absolutely. So number three is a value is subjective. And so back to the question of the sub two is who would sell their house subject to their existing mortgage? Well, in their situation, they would because of their what's going on in their life because right. value to them is subjective. And the way I often um, demonstrate this is I ask the question is, what is your, uh, RJ, what, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, man, let's go with the uh, chocolate chip cookie dough. It's fantastic. Chocolate chip cookie dough. So what is your least favorite flavor of ice cream? You would not eat it to save your life. Uh, let's go with like some, I don't know, like orange sherbet or something. Orange I don't even know. Sherbet count as ice cream. We're, we're sure. going to say it does. Orange sherbet. Okay. So you have one scoop of our uh, one scoop of or two scoops of sherbet ice cream in your hand, but I have one scoop of chocolate chip cookie dough. Yep. Would you make that trade even though I have twice as much or Absolutely. you have twice as much as me? Absolutely. Of course, because value is subjective. Just because you have more doesn't mean that you value that the same. Right. You would rather have something that you like and so you value it. And so any transaction that's happening in real estate especially is always exchanging value where someone's giving up a house that they don't want, but you do want the house because you know how to manage it. And so it's, it's a, there's always an equitable exchange of value with real estate because both parties have to sign. And so right. thinking about value as subjective is really important. So stop thinking for the other person, do unto them as they would have them done unto, done unto themselves, give them what they want and not what you want. They think they want. I love that. I love that because you know, I, I say it a little bit simpler, but it, it's basically the same thing. Like we're not buying houses, we're solving problems. Yep. And, and when we go in there, it, I, I'll use a, a classic example. I'm a, I'm a part of a Facebook group. It's a community of newer investors. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess I'm one of the, the senior guys in there and, and they've asked me to be a part of the group to kind of just lead a little bit. And I had a property that I was looking to wholesale in Birmingham, Alabama. And I posted the property and I said, Hey, this is, I'm asking 30,000 for this property and it's rented out for 650. Literally, I'm not making those numbers up because Paul used them <laughs> earlier in the interview. Those, those are literally the numbers. And I said, this is a great cash flowing asset. Who wants it? Everybody in the group's always talking about, they want to have cash flow, right? Right. Now, nobody in that group tried to solve my problem. What they tried to do was get the deal exactly the way they wanted it. I had about 37 people in that group say, if you'll sell or finance it to me, I'll do the deal. Nobody mm -hmm. stopped to ask me, RJ, what is your need in this? I need to wholesale this property for cash flow for my business because this is a new branch and that's my need. So at that point in time, they should have gone out and tried to raise private capital to purchase it and have somebody else finance it. But instead, there was nobody there that wanted to do that. They wanted to be lazy and just ask me if I would sell or finance it. So <clears throat> move forward 48 hours, I found somebody else not in that group 
that asked me what my need was. I'm wholesaling this property. I need the the cash flow for this new branch. Someone solved that need, bought the property, and now they have a great cash flow asset. So again, solve solve problems. Don't buy houses. It's the same thing you're talking about. Just it just add that value and change your mindset on it. You know, it's, it's just. Um, when you do that, that's when you start to see your business really take off. Yeah, and the best way I've I've found to lead with that is because if you ask somebody what's your problem, they they won't they won't tell you. <laughs> what you, what you ask them is what tell me about your situation, right. and just listen. And when people start talking about the situation, you can glean from them. Oh, okay, I see. What you, you have a new branch and and you're you're growing, and you just need some an infusion of capital. Right. So owner financing doesn't work for you, but what would work for you exactly? I mean, it, coming from a guy that loves to own or finance and sell or finance things, I mean, it's like, I would love to do that. I'm it not just set doesn't up make in, sense now. I'm not right. set up in Birmingham. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to infuse you know, $25,000 of my own cash in a brand new branch so I can make a couple hundred bucks on a property. Like That's not, that's not in my business plan. My business plan is to wholesale property. So it's absolutely right. I mean, if, if someone had just spent – and really what you're talking about is like a couple of minutes – Mm-hmm. You know, and with a seller, it could be a lot longer. You know, they yep. could have a, a much longer list of needs and reasons why they're trying to do things. But the whole time when you get a seller into that cycle, um, that's where the money's made. That's where you're finding out, like, maybe I could ask them to seller finance this or maybe subject two is the best way. Or just at the end of the day, maybe it's, hey, I make a cash offer. Or even if you have the opportunity where it's not a good fit for you, you can even – you know, refer it to a listing agent or something like that if, it, if it's just not a good investment property for you. So there's so many different ways, but more often than not, the seller is going to tell you exactly what they need. Yep. Okay, moving forward. What's, uh, what's the fourth uh, Number mindset? four, five money, new money mindsets. Uh, you don't actually want money. You want what money can do for you. And so this really throws people for a loop because everybody says they want money, especially if they're entrepreneurial and a real estate investor. Yeah, I want money. Like, no, not not really. Because if I were to give you this offer of you could exchange places with Warren Buffett, he's, I think, 79 years old, if memory serves, and he's one of the richest men in the world. And if you could just change bodies with him and have all the control that you wanted, you could live a life, whatever you wanted, would you make that change with him, RJ? No. Why not? He's 79 years old. I mean, right. it, wait, but he, how is he has all life? the money in the world. Right. But it, it's not going to, I'm not going to lose 45 years of my life right. for the money. You know, I mean, right. that's, that's where I'm at. And that's true with most people because you don't actually want the money. You want to be able to do with your life what money allows you to do. So if you are always just chasing the money, you'll have trouble finding it. If you chase people's problems, like you were talking about, and become a problem solver, then the money will come to you in a way that you didn't predict, and you will find yourself much happier thinking about what you could do with the freedom that you bought yourself. Right. And let's also be real, okay? Warren Buffett's got more money than that man could ever spend right. on anything. You do know you think I mean? he does it for the money? No, no. No, not at all. That, that, that guy's playing a game, and he enjoys playing the game. Exactly. That's what he's doing. All right, exactly. what's, the, what's the fifth new mindset? You have plenty of money for all the things that you truly want. How many times, for those listeners listening, how many times have you actually truly desperately needed the money and absolutely not found a way to raise it? 
And this is really important when it comes to finding deals and then matching up deals to money. If you can go find consistent access to deals, you will have all the money that you ever want. Right. And and, and that's hard for some people to believe, you know. Um, if if you haven't if you haven't gotten into a cycle of getting deals yet, it's hard for people to believe that there is that much capital just sitting around. I I heard a, a number the other day, someone from um, uh, an IRA company, and the, the, just the, the trillions of dollars that are sitting in, in IRAs, or, or maybe it was billions, I don't know. It was more money than we, any of us all could ever use. And it was, it's astronomical how many people, how much capital is just sitting around earning next to zero interest that as real estate investors, we can solve that problem. Again, solve problems, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the money's just sitting there and they're hoping for an opportunity for someone to come along and offer a better return than what they're getting. Lazy money. And uh, th- there's a lot of people out there who would be very happy to get five or six, seven percent from their money if you were if you knew how to deploy it and they had trust that you knew how to do it. Right. So I know you talk about you know, finding a tribe of like-minded people that can get you to, to, to greater success. Do you feel like when you say that, is that, are you including like these people, the, the private money lenders that you have, is that kind of what you're referencing there? That's part of it. Certainly it's, you will always rise to the expectations of your peer group. So you need to constantly be upgrading your peer group. And that's exactly why I do podcasts. I'm sure that's why you do podcasts is mm-hmm. you want to meet people, have interesting conversations and learn something. And you, your, your value to the world is equal to your network times your ability to solve their problems. So Man, if you I can solve that. the problems of the people that you know and the people that they know, then you will have net worth beyond your, your imagination. And, and real quick for the people that are, you know, maybe this isn't resonating with you. Let me let me go ahead and, and break this down on a like very specific example. I am at this point in time in my business because we're trying to grow. Time is the most important thing to me. I don't have enough time in the day to accomplish all the things that I want to accomplish. There are newer people that either listen to the podcast, see me at a networking event see a Facebook post of me saying, hey, I did this or that. And they say, man, I I would love to sit down with RJ and take him to lunch and just pick his brain. And they literally asked me that. Now, for me, the most important thing for, for me is time. I don't have enough of it. And if you are trying to grow your network and, and be with people at another level from where you are in your career, Don't ask to take their time. Find a way to make it a reciprocal relationship. More often than not, in today's world with social media, it's very easy to learn what somebody wants in their business. Mm -hmm. A lot of us are using either Instagram, Facebook, whatever it is, to kind of talk about our business. So for me, I'm pretty transparent. You know what I'm doing. I'm doing deals in Dallas, Fort Worth, Phoenix, Alaska, Hawaii, St. Louis, all these places, right? If you want to find time with me 
find a way to add value to my business, either by bringing me a deal or finding a way to do business with us, whatever it is, add that that value first. And then next thing you know, it's like we, we talked about a gentleman that's working with me uh, that you know, he also does business in Little Rock, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And that's how that happened. I mean, he he immediately added value to my life. And now he comes in my office. He hangs out with me regularly. We're doing deals. We just bought his neighbor's house together. That's all because he made it reciprocal from the beginning. So when you when we talk about adding your network, just make sure you do it with, again, a, a forethought of what you're you're trying to accomplish and put yourself in the other person's shoes. Just like when you're in a house with a motivated seller and you're trying to find their needs, find what my needs are or find what Paul's needs are before you try to build that relationship. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, I totally agree. You come at it with a spirit of service. Yep. So, and I have a, a thing about people coming to me and they use that word, pick your brain. Yep. And I was like, that's not the way to approach. So if you're wanting to get somebody's attention, that's uh, at a level above you, that's not the way you lead. You right. lead by asking, how can I help you? And better yet, don't actually say, how can I help you? Because that then puts the problem back on them for them to help exactly. them tell you, no, go figure it out yourself. Or offer. How about this? I can go put out some some signs for you. Or I have some. I have a virtual assistant that I've hired in India that's really good at scraping leads. Would that be helpful for you? Can I share that with you? That is something that will get people's attention. Whether I'm they tell you right now, if somebody did that for me, <laughs> I mean, you are you are light years ahead of ninety nine percent of the people that reach out to me. Right. If someone said they would be willing to go put out bandit signs for me. I mean, that would just be like okay. Whoever you are, you've got the right mindset, and and you and I talk about that frequently. Where mindset is very important to us. I I literally um, I just met uh, Ed and Taylor Pugh. They're out of Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, I I loved what Taylor said. He said that when he takes an Uber and he gets in the car, if the radio is on, he asks the Uber driver to turn it off, and at one point in time. One Uber driver said, uh, can I ask you why you asked me to turn the radio off? And he said, because I don't know what you're listening to, and my mind is the most important thing that I have. And whatever it was you're listening to was not what I chose to put in my mind, and I have to keep my mind right. And uh, that kind of resonated with me because I do think mindset is so important. That's why I wanted to, to bring up you know, your five you know, mo- money mindset, the, how you can change your mindset on it. And really, just your whole story is based around you changing your mindset for your life. You know, I mean, from leaving your corporate job to creating financial freedom through cash flowing real estate assets. Um, that was a huge mindset leap for you and, and change that you had to go through. So, very, very true. So let's uh, the the last thing I want to wrap up with is uh, you you talk about three investments you can make this month to set you up for future wealth. What are those? Number one, always invest in yourself. Before you can help somebody else, you have to have, you have to invest in the intellectual capital, the gray matter between your ears. That's the most important real estate that you have is what you know and what you can do for other people. So that can be listening to podcasts like you're already doing, reading books, uh, you know, YouTube, uh, Windshield University, Whatever it takes to put the, I mean, now the knowledge is so available, it's been democratized, you can go and get it for a very low cost, if not free. 
And once you invest in yourself, you invest in your network. Back to the point I was saying that your your net worth is equal to your network times your ability to solve its problems. So grow and improve your circle of influence by coming at a certain coming with a spirit of service. You know, the word networking can ha- kind of be kind of feel scammy. I don't mean networking in that sense. I mean getting to know people and offering them something of value. And right. when you do that, things open up for you way in your life in a way that you simply cannot uh, predict. Then you invest in assets. Number three, invest in assets, which creates streams of income. That's when you go and buy houses. And that's when you go and buy investments that create these streams of income I'm talking about. Awesome, man. Well, for everybody that's listening, I mean, obviously you're extremely well-spoken and, and just an, an awesome mentor for people. Uh, what are the best ways that people can follow you and and kind of learn more about your message? Sure thing. So you can go to my website at pauldavidthompson.com. It's, I'm sure you'll have that in the show notes, and it sounds yep. like the way it would spell. And then slash titanium vault. So anybody who's listening to this, I have some free giveaways for you. One of those is my offer guide on how to make offers that sellers can't resist. Awesome, man. And also... I have to ask you, you have your own podcast, the the Ready Investor One podcast, correct? I do. I do. Yeah. So when you came up with that, is that because you're A, a reader or B, a video game player? Which one is it? A reader for sure. I've never had anybody ask the question that way, but that's a, that was an astute question. <laughs> well, you know, I had to ask. I, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the, the notes that were sent over to me and I'm like, I'm just going to be honest with you. You don't talk like you're a video game player, so it has to be reader, but I'm going to ask anyway. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You got me. Now, but my son is 11 and he's getting a video game, so I've found that's the way I need to connect with him, so I'm having to get back into video games, and it's it's a dangerous world to go into because it's so immersive. It is. It is. And I I have to, you know, my son's 6, and he's he's also, you know, we play some of the video games. Um but we started off by playing the video games that I enjoyed playing from my childhood. So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, we would go play the old Mario's, some old sports games. And uh, it's funny now because we'll go to the store and I'll be like, hey, check out this. And it'll be like an old game that I want to play. And he'll be like, no, I want to play here. the new games. And I'm like, oh, no, we're, we're having to learn how to play the new games, huh? Okay. So it's uh, funny how that works out. But Paul, man. Thank you so much for sitting down with us. Um, just great information. Very inspirational story. And congrats on, uh, you know, finding freedom from the, the corporate America job and, and uh, getting into real estate investing. And I can't wait to continue to watch you grow as, a, as an investor. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure being on here. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.